listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. Because the future of labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio. And it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator David Story. It is Saturday, February 27th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, February 28th, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama. Today, we are coming to you without a guest for the first time in a hot minute. We just want to talk union and take your calls, so holler at us, 1-866-494-9866. Just going to be talking to ourselves, talking to you on today's Valley Labor Report. So thanks for tuning in, folks. Here's an announcement right at the top. The North Alabama DSA is holding a necessities drive every Saturday. Every Saturday, that means this Saturday, too, from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall on Clinton Avenue here in Huntsville, right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805. So if you're in the area, you want to drop off some clothes, some non-perishable food items, blankets, then swing by the IBEW Union Hall right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805 from 3 to 5 p.m. this Saturday and every Saturday, all to Donations will be forwarded to the Manor House. Follow at DSA North Alabama on Twitter for more information. If you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for The Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. Uh, you can go back and watch the full show there, and we also clip segments throughout uh, and release those throughout the week. So if you just there's one thing that you might be interested in, you can go back and see all the topics that we've talked about in the past. Uh, we also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm/slash/subscribe. Uh, we do now have a website, thevalleylaborreport.org. Going to talk more about that in just a second and finally if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash the valley labor report or go to the valley labor and get yourself a hat we have got 
new hats now. New hats. New hats from a new vendor. I like them better personally. There's a few reasons. For one, the biggest reason, we've got the Union Bug right here. If you're watching on the stream, we've got the Union Bug right there uh, at, on on the front of the hat, right beside our logo. Let me see that. Let let you see the hat. It's it's really really nice. I like it a lot. David's showing it off, uh, making me expose my hat head to the world. Your hair looks wonderful. It's great. Uh, you do not, contrary to the pictures that David tweeted out, you do not have to wear it as a flat bill. Uh, I don't know what has gotten into him, but but you can, you can if you want to go. If you want, if you want to look absurd. I thought that was, I thought that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told David when he tweeted that picture out. I was like, man, I haven't worn a flat bill since I was like twelve. Dude, like, I see every. Maybe it's because I, I'm like listen to a lot of rap. But maybe I, mean, I, don't I, know. I see everybody in the scene. I, I don't know. I look absurd when I wear a flat bill. So well, I think everybody does. But regardless, <laughs> I, I never wore them when they were you know in, in style. So I thought it was absurd then. But yeah, and and you know like the structure of the hat. We we had a we had a, a smaller run with another shop um, a while back. And but but and, and we did switch vendors. The structure of this hat is just better. I think it's a different material, um, and it's I, I just I like it better. It's a it's in in my opinion it's a better hat. And you can go to our website thevalleylaborreport.org, snag you one of them. They are uh, thirty five dollars uh, with shipping, so that's uh, you know thirty five dollars and that's it. We'll ship it to you wherever you are. Uh, it's great. I love it. It. I am very, very happy with the hat, and uh, so, so you should snag one while you can. So, um, yeah, today we're coming to you without a guest. We just want to talk to you. One eight six six four nine four nine eight six six is the number. If you've got any questions about unions or anything else, we'd prefer to talk about unions, but we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, and we have gotten some questions throughout the week. Uh, we, we've been prepping for today's episode uh, by just fielding audience questions. We didn't come with anything prepared that has not been asked from us by the audience. We are only doing audience recommended topics today. So the first one, and this was a comment that we got on YouTube a couple a couple weeks ago now, and 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 so I logged it in, I logged it in my uh, in in my brain bank and said we're going to talk about this t today. Uh, and it's a good question. He he's a member of a union, and he said their CBA is expiring soon. Their collective bargaining agreement, their contract is expiring soon. Uh, what should I expect? Um, for the renegotiation process. And I think that's a really good topic uh, for, for conversation. And um, I think that that is good for folks as, as well that don't have a union that are thinking about organizing or for the, Am I know that we've got some Amazon workers down in Bessemer that listen to us online. The renegotiation process is going to look very similar to the initial negotiation process to get your first contract. So we're going to be tackling both of those topics uh, right now. And David, we are, this is why I love having David on the show or one of the reasons why I love having David on the show because he is old as dirt. He has done this so so many times i mean he's been he's been negotiating contracts since they got off the ark so since they were inscribed in tablets yes form. yes yeah he's his first contract he had to etch it into stone and he yeah got some bloody knuckles but but he he got it uh so david talk to us about what 
you know, uh, I, I haven't actually, I'm a, I'm a union member, I have read my contract multiple times, but I haven't actually gone through a negotiation process yet. So, uh, you know, I know what happens, I've read a lot about it, but you've got that first-hand experience. So walk us through uh, what happens when your contract expires or when you get a union and you're about to negotiate a contract. Yep. So... You know, the first thing is to build a committee. The, mm -hmm. And generally speaking, you know, the folks down at Amazon, they don't have bylaws yet. And bylaws are uh, democratically elected rules that the, that the group sets upon themselves. And, and generally within those bylaws, it will say how many negotiating committee people will be elected to negotiate it will you know if you've got a large facility such as yours mm -hmm. you, it will probably say there will be this many people out of this department and there will be this many people out of this and it gives you know it's rules that it, that that all the brothers and sisters place upon themselves to ensure that it's a fair fairly represented negotiation that it represents not just one group but say for instance in ours that it represents production workers that it represents maintenance workers that it represents the warehouse workers mm. fairly so i would say if you've if you are are in a union currently and are con con considering you know going into negotiation soon then have a look at your bylaws and, and a lot of people have no clue where their bylaws are at and it's incumbent upon your union officers your elected union officers in your local to provide you with a set of those bylaws they should have them um, if you've got uh internet space you know a website they uh, ours is on the on our website mm -hmm. uh but if not then ask your steward in your area give me right. a copy of my bylaws mm -hmm. that will set up the the parameters for negotiations then generally, you know, and so really quick, the the negotiation committee, you know, the process for electing it is, is going to be different in different places. But oh, yeah. but it does the people that you elect to be on the negotiating committee, they come out of the workforce. Yeah, these are rank and file workers. These are not, uh, you know, these are not like union bosses or whatever that you're going to have you're going to have staff and you're going to have staff lawyers advising you and you're going to be able to look at other contracts from across your international but the people that are actually going to be at the bargaining table they're workers they're yeah. they're workers that you have you've been on the line with you've sat in the cube next to them whatever your work situation is like these are just normal regular working folks writing the contract that they're going to that and and they're the folks that you elect and they're the folks that are going to represent you it's not some some like nebulous outsider coming in to negotiate for you it is you yeah and there's a reason for that and you, because you get a lot of times even like a lot of the older hands uh long time union members that's never been in negotiation say why don't we have lawyers? Why aren't we hiring lawyers to come in and write these contracts for us? Mm -hmm. That's because we are going to be reading them. Right. And have you ever read your credit card uh, right. uh, rules that, right. you know, I mean, it's like 60 pages and you make it through the first uh, mm -hmm. paragraph and your eyes start glazing over. The whole reason we negotiate these contracts, and when I say we, it goes back to what you were mm -hmm. initially saying, 
the workers because the workers are going to be the ones that's going to have to enforce this contract and we want it to be clear exactly right. what our intent was and we don't want a bunch of lawyeries gray area language put in the contract we want to make sure we right. get what we want right so yeah you 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 elect the committee out of the shop floor uh, you know, every every union is going to do it different. Uh, all of our uh, negotiating committees go to Maryland to our training center. Mm-hmm. We spend a week, sometimes more, sitting in offices all day long from 8 in the morning till normally 8 or 9 at night, uh, going over the previous contract mm-hmm. and fine-tuning what we want out of the upcoming one. Mm-hmm. And then you go, you know, generally a month roughly a month before so and like i say everyone's going to be different but you want to get your contract negotiated prior to the expiration of the current one that you're working under right so you go in and everybody sits down at the table and you negotiate with the company mm-hmm. one-on-one and now the fine you, know, you said that the fine-tuning of the things that you want out of the contract there are some more formal and less formal i think probably the bigger the the bigger the workplace the more formalized settings you need uh it, as far as there's actually there are generally processes that you incorporate it's not not only do the workers elect the bargaining committee but the bargaining committee then solicits what or or before the bargaining committee is formed or after you know it's different in every union but but the there is a solicitation of what the workforce wants whether that be super formal or super informal you know like you actually you know i mean but because the bargaining committee comes off the shop floor you know these people they know what you want you know what they want and you 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 know them and and you have these opportunities to tell them and verbalize what you want to be in the next contract because you've been working under the last contract you know what's there you know what your workplace is like and you know what you want to change and you know how that should be done and so you talk to that you you communicate that to your coworkers and, and stuff like that and i think that democratic egalitarian kind of input for your the for for the rules you'll be working working under is is really 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 cool yeah, I think it's important that you pointed that out, something that I glossed over and just completely missed was the fact that before we go to Maryland, we have a, it's roughly a 100-question survey mm-hmm. uh, on all of, just a generic, but it's, it covers just about anybody's contract. It's generic right. enough at where it would. And, and it's like one of the bubble-in mm-hmm. surveys, and those all get sent back to Maryland. They run it through one of these scam machines and data that you have never, I mean, unbelievably right. populated graphs by demographic, by age, by mm-hmm. uh, by female or male, all these things, uh, by shift. Right, by department, what, what all these yep. different groups want. And, and there's know, only I, two things that we negotiate. We negotiate by, based on the survey, mm-hmm. and we negotiate based on prior grievances so right. in other words any grievances has come out right. during this past right. contract we try to eliminate the possibility of mm-hmm. having those grievances continue into the next contract and we try to work on the yeah. survey yeah I, I and and you know I, i'm glad that you appreciated that input because i wanted to i know this but not all of the audience would know this you know even though the the negotiating committee is elected from the rank and file uh, from from the shop floor. I didn't want folks to reckon that um, 
to reckon that once they're elected, then they are, you know, then then they become some kind of high and mighty force, and they don't um, they don't take into account the opinions of the other workers or anything like that. You know, it, it's a very it's a very inclusive and democratic process, and and you know, of course, uh, some unions incorporate more than others so for some unions there is more of a for like i've like i've been saying there's more of a formalized process in some unions than others david sounds like they've got their stuff down to a science and that's really cool uh but yeah i wanted i wanted to pull that out because a lot of folks have this idea of you know oh once somebody gets elected they um you know they they just they come, rule over you. they rule over yeah, you and that's not that's, the, not, how I that's not the way it is that's certainly not the idealized way that and and you know i don't know maybe there are some locals no. out there that but uh no. you know i can tell you in our negotiations, anytime there it becomes heated, mm -hmm. the first thing we, the first thing that gets mentioned is, what does the survey say? Right. Any, right. Uh, because and that reduces these personal grievances that you want to, that uh, that a person may want to flesh out in negotiations on their own. Right. We but everything that we do is but and and you get called out for it. Yeah. Not just called out, you get made to feel like absolute trash if you're trying to push a personal agenda. Right. So you negotiate the contract based on the survey, based on past grievances, and, and grievances. That is, that's a word that's used for whenever there is a violation, a, a perceived violation of the contract, right? And or or a perceived injustice in the workplace, and, and and so you file a grievance to try to rectify that, and so and so you file based on past grievances to try to make it less likely to put up guardrails so that these grievances don't actually happen so much in the future. And then you said you you try to hammer it out what does the process look like of actually hammering it out with the company how, how does how does that work you know they come to the I'm sure they come to the table with things and, and so what does it look like having those conversations with people in management and um, and trying to you know what what does it it's look miserable. like at the table it's yeah, I miserable <laughs> uh, I mean and, there, and there's no there's no nice way to put it yeah uh, there it is literally uh, if you've ever gone through uh, a divorce, I mean, a absolute terrible divorce, mm -hmm. it is like that for mm -hmm. two solid weeks. It is just, uh, it's physically demanding, it's mentally demanding, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it just, it breaks you down in every way that you can possibly imagine. Uh, but the, you know, you, it, for us, it's a group of, uh, five from our plant, mm -hmm. three from California, three from Orlando, because we negotiate a joint contract with two right. other locals. And uh, there'll be roughly 10 to 12 people from the company side, the mm -hmm. HR people, uh, generally the plant managers, a corporate lawyer out of Atlanta that they hire, one of the union-busted lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, he is there generally... They're not lead spokesperson, but lead spokesperson, mm -hmm. uh, and it and it goes back and forth. And so, mm -hmm. what we do is you you spend one week on what we call non-economic issues, which mm -hmm. is working, right? Uh, you know, shifts, hours, things like that. And then you spend one week on economic issues. The first week, you generally speak on not work on non-economic issues and. Generally, we make the first pass, and when we call a pass, we say, you know, the the contract is broken down into articles. So we try to keep it in articles, and we will pass the first article and say, this is what we want. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll go over 
all the changes there's nothing shady that happens you know a lot of times you hear people talk about i slipped this in and i slipped that in there's absolutely nothing slipped in during negotiations because we have the contract printed out we hand it to them and all of the areas that we changed are highlighted and we explain those highlights and why we wanted mm -hmm. it changed whether we refer back to grievances or whether we refer back to our survey we right. say this is the reason why we feel like this would be better for us and y'all mm -hmm. and generally we try to frame it as this is going to be better for y'all it's going right. to make labor peace in the plant right so and the company comes back they 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 have a caucus mm -hmm. normally it's an hour two hours they modify what we've and they make their pass and explain their pass. That goes mm -hmm. on literally for two weeks from 8 in the morning. And most of the times we don't get in bed till around midnight, right. 1 o'clock. And this is just the negotiating committee. This isn't, um, this isn't the whole workforce. This it's, is just it's the just the negotiating committee that's, that's negotiating that. And so that, that tells you, you know, how kind of um, – how, how much the people that, that are willing to take on this stuff, like how much work that they actually do. And, and, you know, people talk about, like, freedom isn't free, democracy is hard work, and the same goes, the same is true in the workplace. Miserable. It is, it's difficult, but it it's, miserable. but it's worth it. I can tell you this, I, and, and this is not a lie, every time I come out of negotiations, I swear to God, I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> Every one of us are like, this is the last time, man. I yeah, have had all time. that I can take. Uh -huh. But, you know, it goes back to the same thing that it goes back, you know, with social justice reform or anything like that. The ones that do it well, they do it well because they care. Right. And they and they won't, they won't quit mm -hmm. because they care. It's just, you just... You keep, you keep taking your licks and you keep fighting. Yeah. Okay. So we got a caller on the line. You want to take a caller? You want to work through this a little bit? I, I, there, there's just one or two more questions. Okay. Was it, was the question about negotiation or about? Uh, he didn't say. He just else? said he had a question. So. Okay. So what, I, I want to wrap this up. Caller, stay on the line. I really appreciate your call. I want to get through this. I've just got a couple more questions for David, uh, and and we should be able to wrap it up here here pretty soon, uh, and then we'll get you on the air to see if you've got any questions. So. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that y'all go back and forth with these negotiations. What happens when there is an impasse? When when y'all are both demanding something and you're saying, and you're like, I'm not going to give in. Both sides are saying that they're not going to give in. What happens in that situation? Uh, or, and I think these are kind of pretty similar things, what happens when the bargaining committee reckons y'all have got a good deal hammered out and y'all are ready to go? What happens in those two situations? Uh, so the easier one is we got a good deal hammered out. We're ready to go. Uh, let's handle that one first. Uh, if 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 we come to uh, uh, where we think we've we've got a good deal, then at the end of the negotiations, the bargaining committee meets independent of the company, and we go through the contract and we take a vote. Can mm -hmm. we can we recommend this contract to the membership or not? Mm -hmm. If it's a good contract, I can tell you this: on every contract negotiation that I've been on, we haven't recommended <laughs> the contract. Right. Uh, but if it's a good contract, then we would recommend it, and the membership generally votes on that contract based on the mm -hmm. negotiating committee's recommendations. And so the membership votes on it. Yeah. The bargaining committee does not get final say. 
We get final. No, we don't get final say on anything. We right. are nothing more than one single member voting whenever mm-hmm. it comes time to vote. Right. Uh, and yeah, and for us, I can tell you, we can vote the contract down with fifty percent plus one member mm-hmm. and say we don't we don't want to take this contract. But even then, there's a higher standard to strike. Right. There is a supermajority. So you yeah, so so that goes into the the next question. And still have sixty five percent vote to go on strike. And unless we get that sixty six and two thirds, Mm -hmm. then we go back to work. Yeah, so that's the next question. What about when y'all come to an impasse? When you say when that when there's y'all have something and the company has another thing and y'all are not neither neither side's budging and so basically what happens is the bargaining committee doesn't recommend the contract what happens in in that situation yeah well i mean the last pass is always reserved to the company mm-hmm. they are the ones that have uh authority over the contract so in other words we can make all the recommendations that we want and that's all they are is recommendations in the negotiating committee the company it is it is on the company to provide us with their interpretation of the contract and we vote on it okay uh you know i would i would love for it to be the other way around but that's just not how it works right in contract negotiations so uh if there's an impasse and the company puts the language that they want in and and they flip a coin hoping to god that that the workers don't vote it down mm-hmm. and in some cases they do some cases they don't but it's a calculated risk. They base their numbers the same way we base our numbers. Right. They look at it and say how many people, because they've got a much better idea than what people think when it comes time to strike. Right. They've looked at those numbers and they know where they can finesse who's voted to strike in the past. What can we give them that will keep them satisfied while screwing everybody else? It's it's yeah, and and many many times it's normally what they call a sign-in bonus. They will, the mm-hmm. last time, they offered us an $8,000 sign-in bonus, and we voted it down. So, you know, they'll try to buy the contract mm-hmm. up front because right. they know, and, and and we did not get, I don't think we got one red cent more after the strike. What we were striking over was the language, being able to force people to travel out of state for extended periods up to 90 days right. without any return trips home mm-hmm. and things like that. So. Yeah, so so if you vote uh so if you vote it down and, and y'all like what does that what, what do those conversations look like among the membership uh, on like strike versus not to strike and then it looks um, like a bar fight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean right. literally people are throwing chairs across the room, people mm-hmm. are standing on top of tables. It, it's emotional. It is a, and and, and and that's this important. Is your life. I've had yeah, I've had conversations with folks about like kind of squeamish about having a union because they might have to go on strike and this is the, this is a, um, a decision that's made with these real risks in mind. You are you while you're on strike, you don't get paid. While you're on strike, you know, well, like, you get strike pay. You get strike pay from the union, but it's significantly yes. diminished from the from your salary from the company, and you know, there, I mean, there, it's a lot of it's a lot of risk there that people take on, and so they they take all all of everybody's 
um, opinions into account whether or not to go on strike, and then you know they'll vote to go. You know they'll vote to go on strike or not. And while they're on strike, obviously the negotiating committee is still working to try to get everybody a fair contract. And then if they get another one, uh, they get they get another agreement. They'll send it out and they'll vote to stay on strike or not on strike. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. So. I think that's kind of a rough overview. I think that's kind of a good rough overview. And so we've got a caller on the line. Yeah. What uh, caller? Jesse. Jesse. Welcome in, Jesse. How are you? You still with us? Uh, I'm doing all right today. Um, <sighs> oh man, I'm sorry, Jesse. I I've, I wasn't taking good account of the time, uh, Jesse. We're coming up on the we're, we're coming to you commercial free, but we still got the top of the hour, bottom of the hour news breaks that we have to get in there. So we're going to bring you in on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Going to talk to Jesse on the other side. Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. We are coming to you commercial-free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. We are talking union, taking your calls. On the line, we've got Jesse. Jesse, sorry I ran you up into the post. Uh, apologize for that. Uh, what you got for us? Oh, well, you know, of course, you know, first of all, I just wanted to, you know, uh, go back and say, you know, solidarity with Amazon workers. And then, second of all, uh, I am a, uh, a robbery organizer in Northern Virginia, and the biggest problem I face when going about really, you know, recruiting people and getting people to uh, come about and join the, the big robbery cause is like the, the major issue of convincing people why they need to do a card or why they should do a card with their union and then the IWW. And then uh, I guess like, you, you know, not to go too much into that, but how would you suggest Berkham navigating that issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I actually um, I actually wrote an article in the Industrial Worker called "The Case for Dual Carding." Uh, you can still you can still find that it's archived online if you go to uh, industrialworker.org, which is the uh, that is the IWW's publication. Um, and uh, and so there there are a couple of things um, that I said in the case for dual carding. Uh, David and I are both dual carders. We're both members of our um, business unions and the IWW. And uh, I think and, and the the things that I mentioned are um, that dual carders bring, in my view, this is not uh, necessarily. It, it's not it, it's not a um, it's not the view that every wobbly has I'm not totally sure about the popularity of it but it's not a view that every wobbly has but I think dual carters bring a certain amount of experience and expertise people that have been in business unions and that know the way that they organize I think they bring a certain amount of experience and expertise to the IWW that is valuable and that we can learn from in uh, in, on both sides, whether that be, uh, you know, I'm coming to the IWW and here are some things that my business union does that maybe we shouldn't do, uh, or on the other side, here's some things that my business union does that we should do. And I, I think there are there are things on both sides of that coin. And and so for the 
So I think for the value to the IWW, I think I think that's a big value there. For the value to the dual carter, that is um, that is maybe a bit less clear. But I think for people that are that are really involved and really uh, um, active in their unions, I think the value is to one uh, contribute to organizing that your business union doesn't do. There are a lot of workers out there that uh, they won't they're they're not going to be catered to as 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 often by the business unions like um bartenders or uh fast food workers or you know there are a lot of retail workers that folks just that that some of the bigger unions just won't organize and the iww will and so if you're passionate about organizing workers uh helping the working class things like that that's why i got into it uh it also can function as a sort of uh, militant unionist um, network in your area for uh, you know for solidarity. for solidarity and for networking and for um, tactic discuss tactic discussions you know like okay here's something that I did to try to democratize my business union try to make my business union more militant here's something here's something that I tried to get the membership more activated um, maybe you could try this over in over in your business union as well uh, and and so I think I think it functions good as a network for solidarity a network for uh, l learning each other's tactics and, and and building that kind of information network and um, and yeah but the biggest thing for me and which is which is I think this is the type of people that you want in the IWW to be dual carters. Um, the biggest thing for me is the ability to organize workers that a lot of folks see as unorganizable, um, and so that that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, and then um, and you can find I laid out all that out maybe a bit more uh, a bit more kind of eloquently in my article I hope um, and. Uh, for, I'll I'll say this because if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to bring in dual carters in your union into the IWW, for me the biggest the biggest uh, win point is democratizing your union because as as anybody that's been in a business union knows there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on there's a lot mm -hmm. of hidden information that paid staff don't want you to be privy to because they're protecting what they consider their job because once they start becoming employed by the union they look at that as their job and many of them then they negotiate contracts with the union so there's a lot of that that's going on and IWW stands in complete uh, uh, opposition to to that type of gatekeeping and they are very democratically organized and very egalitarian and they work side by side not as leaders and followers and that's why i hate this term union leader there you know i i'm not a you i may be the president of my union but i'm not a union leader because everything that comes out of our union meetings is voted on by the membership and i must fulfill the membership's wishes and when we start thinking that we can pull the membership one way or the other is when it becomes personal agenda things and it's and it's literally the most detrimental thing that can happen to the union so i believe that the iww as a dual carding in typical and traditional business unions brings that egalitarian and democratic spirit back 
to what the union's original intent was, and that is, uh, you know, the organization being all of the membership and, and extremely democratic. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question, brother? Uh, yeah, it does uh, pretty well. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I just got to say, uh, you guys are great. You host an amazing show. Mr. Morrison, we got to get you back down to Fredericksburg sometime soon. Um, <laughs> hope you have a wonderful day and solidarity. Solidarity. All right, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Yeah, that uh, that yeah. I, I think you know. I think dual carding is, is definitely a viable thing. Um, <laughs> and we got a uh, brother in the comments, uh, David. Did I just hear uh, you advocate for the IWW to be the USA's path to sectoral bargaining? Potentially, maybe that would be great. I mean, I mean, well, the thing with IWW is you do away with sectoral. You know, I mean, there. There's a reason why they're called one big union because everybody is a is a member so yeah i'm 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 very much in favor of the iww's path we just have to make them more relevant to the to the to the labor movement and in order to make them more relevant we've got to organize with them and and bring in more membership to to the uh into the union itself and whether that be through external organizing you know, in, in workplaces that are currently not organized or whether that be through internal organizing, through bringing in dual carters. I think that's important. So, yeah. Uh, and I've seen where one of the guys asked about organizing. Hang on one second. Let me look at this. I said uh, something about organizing. Organizing gig workers, right? Tenants. Uh, tenants. tenants and oh, yeah. Like that. And I'm really, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot about this. You may know more about it than I do, but honestly, I have a, I have a difficult time speaking on something that I haven't worked with. Yeah. Yeah, neither of us have any direct experience with tenant organizing. Um, I know that I know that it is done and obviously there there are a lot of um, a lot of the logic is taken from uh, is taken from union organizing, which yeah. is, you know, in union organizing, the thing that you have that is valuable to the employer is your labor. And so uh, your biggest point of leverage is in, in negotiations is your ability to withhold your labor and keep them from making a profit. As a tenant, the most valuable thing you have to your landlord is your rent. And so your uh, leverage in negotiations is your ability to withhold your rent. And, uh, you know, just like in a union, your ability to withhold your labor as an individual is not very powerful. You can, <laughs> you can be replaced. As a tenant, your ability to withhold your rent as an individual is not very powerful. You can be evicted. Um, but as a union, as a tenant union, if you've got this apartment complex and you've got a thousand people renting from the same landlord or the same corporation, and you get a thousand people withholding your rent, uh, but you know for reasons and, and and the reasons that they do that that you know they they want to advocate for like better you know better conditions. Obviously, they're they're not getting wages from their landlord, but they have tenants. There are often a lot of problems, especially when you start talking about these big corporations. They're absentee landlords and they don't really do what they're supposed 
supposed to. So uh, in order to get them to make the apartments better, to to do uh, kind of safety stuff, there are there are rent strikes and there are things like that. But uh, yeah, Dave, Dave, neither David nor I have had any direct experience with tenant organizing, so I'd have but, to point you in other directions. But yeah. the logic makes sense, and and it works. I've I've seen it. I've seen it work before. And, I've seen stories about it working. And and to end that, we can say we've got a very good friend and brother that come on the show one of our first guests on the show was chris brooks that wrote for labor notes i don't think he currently writes for labor notes i think he's he, a he's a staffer at a news guild okay so but chris has a, he's actually out of chattanooga he was near mm-hmm. us he mm-hmm. uh came up in the labor movement but he has a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. on tenant mm-hmm. unions uh with him being in new york that was how he cut his teeth in organizing so I would say okay, yeah. look out. To, he's on Twitter. He's on right. Facebook. Reach out to him on and, and, and send him a friend request and maybe look up some of his past articles. Mm-hmm. I would guarantee. I just seen him tweet about this this past week. He said that's where he cut his yeah, organizing yeah. teeth as a union organizer was in, in tenant. In tenant ten, organizing. Yep. Yeah. So Chris Brooks is a good one to, to yeah. follow. CH activist on Twitter, ch activist on Twitter. Uh, he's a good he's a good one to follow, and and you know there there are lots of good articles about tenant organizing. I know DSA has a good uh, tenant organizing program. If you're interested in in tenant organizing, maybe join DSA. I know the person that asked us. He <laughs> is a member of DSA, so uh, maybe reach out to your uh, to national to see because I know that I think it was. LA DSA or something there's like or, or maybe Boston DSA I'm not sure but I, I a friend of mine that lives in Boston sent me a um, a really good uh, DSA tenant organizing manual um, so so you know reach out to your uh, uh, to, to your fellow members in DSA and maybe see what uh, they, they'd be a better resource for that than we would probably uh, so we've got a caller on the line uh, caller, uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, you, you can call me Jay. Jay? Uh, Jay. Yeah, I'm calling from Arizona. Oh. Jay from Arizona. Thanks. And uh, so what what you, what you got on your mind? Uh, so, yeah, so Arizona is a right-to-work state and all that. And, like, pretty much my whole life, I've never, I've never known anyone who's been in a union or, you know, or been in a union myself, obviously. And so one of the things... Uh, I mean, it's like every every place I've worked in, it's every time the conversations come up about unions and all that stuff, it's like everyone just like automatically goes to like all the anti-union talking points that you hear, like the conservative news and talk radio and all that stuff. So it's like, so like I've only ever had experience with like like explicitly anti-union, you know, coworkers. Yeah. And I just want to ask you guys, you. have you ever like, have you ever? experience something like that when you guys try to organize just like people who are like really anti-union or anything like that absolutely i mean well you gotta you gotta remember we're in i mean we're in alabama we're in a right to work state as well at will employment and uh mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh, that's that's typically you know that's first for certain that's what you're going to come up against consistently uh, especially in in areas where, and I don't know the type of work that you do, but especially in areas that may not be have been traditionally unionized, and it sounds like you're coming out of one of those areas. Uh, but it, and one of the biggest I, f- talking to people, one of the biggest mistakes that everybody makes is not reaching out to a a, a, a true union organizer mm-hmm. early 
in the game. If you even, and that's what we constantly preach here, if you even are considering it, mm-hmm. the best thing to do is reach out to the union organizer, find one. There, I promise you, there's a whole lot out there. They don't. They, they're not as public as what they should be, and that's kind of the reason we're doing this show was to make it more public and to give people that opportunity to reach out. But uh, they they can can they have some real good talking points of what to do, what not to do, and the biggest thing that you'll find with a with a union a, tr- a true union organizer is they will put put you on a path that will keep you from coming under. A fire at work, uh, mm-hmm. and that, that's that's their biggest concern is to ensure that this is that that when you start talking about unions, it's done safely and carefully, right? And everyone's uh, everyone's taken care of from from termination or from retribution with the boss, because there are some laws once you begin talking to a union organizer that come into play at the federal level that allows you to talk about the union in certain places and protects your job to, to where there are numerous times we, we've seen people that get terminated and we're able to get their jobs back with back pay. Mm-hmm. So that, that, you know, and understanding all those dynamics is real important. Yeah, and I think, and you know, one of the things to, to touch on, you were asking, like, what, how do you actually interface with people that are anti-union? And I think that that kind of depends on uh, your relationship to them and how virulently anti-union they are. Like, if they're just being, if they're just being... Um, what if? Or, or what well, if? well, I mean, I don't know, that can, that can be legitimate, but if they're just being, like vitriolic yeah. and toxic yeah. and you don't have an existing relationship with them and they're just like purposely trying to be difficult there's not a lot you can do with that kind of person and I you know try to organize around them as best you can and maybe one day they'll come around but it's not going to be you convincing them uh, but for for folks that are you know uh, so David and I have been making calls for RWDSU into the Amazon warehouse down in Bessemer and you know I've got I've had a lot of calls now with people that are not, you know, they're they're not being hateful or mean. Like you said, they just don't know much about unions, and they've got questions, and they're hearing, uh, especially down at Amazon, they're hearing all this anti-union propaganda, and they reckon it's true because it's coming from the people that sign their paychecks. And so, you know, why would they, you know, why would they lie to me? I mean, I, you know, I, I they just, they just don't know. And so, I'm having these conversations with me. They're throwing these anti-union talking points at me, not maliciously, but they're just like. Why this? Why that? And so you got to kind of step them down, like off the ladder, uh, be calm and patient. You know, you're going to hear things that really rile you up because you know it's complete hogwash. But you got to step them down off the ladder and, and talk them through the way that it actually works. And it can be. And, and, you know, talk to them about the democratic aspect of it. You know, like, uh, there's nobody, nobody from up on high is going to, like, tell you what to do ultimately. You're going to be the people electing folks from the shop floor to negotiate your contract. We're going to we're gonna clip this the first 30 minutes of the show, and, and we're going to throw it out there. Send that to them. You know, talk, uh, talk to, show them, like, what actually happens when a contract is negotiated. Tell them that, uh, you know, that that. They get to decide on those things. Talk to them about how don't you reckon you deserve some amount of security with a union contract? You know that the next day you go into work, those are the 
conditions of your employment. If you don't have a union contract, then from day to day, the boss can change at any time the conditions of your employment. There's no security there. Talk to them about that. Talk to them about don't they reckon that there are things that can be better. Say that, uh, you know, don't you think that you deserve a voice on the job? You know how to do your job. I mean, everybody has had management tell them things that are just stupid, that don't make any sense to somebody that actually has done the job and knows the work. And so don't you think that you should get some amount of say over what you do? And, and so, you know, if you to walk people down, talk them back from the ledge and talk to them like they're people, like they're humans, you know, there's there's a lot of headway that can be made there. And David is, is proof positive of that. You know, I mean, he works in a he, he works in a machine shop uh, where, you know, most of the folks, they're like, you know, Gen X, Boomer, uh, you know, white guys, right? And these are conservative folks that are still going to go and vote Republican, but like he's got a 93% union density rate in his shop. And that doesn't happen because he talks down to people or other union members talk down to folks that have different political opinions than them. It's because they level with them as people and they work together. And some of the, you know, some of the most conservative people in his shop are like some of the most pro-union folks. So it can be done and take courage. It takes time, but, you know, and, and definitely reach out to union organizers in your area. Um, yeah. And follow us on social media because we just put on an organizing, uh, uh, one, what was it? Four weeks is supposed to be like two days, but it was spread out over four weeks. Yeah, but so it the was Huntsville, yeah, the, the IWW chapters in your area. I think there's an IWW chapter in Arizona. They fair, you know, that they they do uh, organize organizer training one oh one oh ones about how to organize, and they're doing it virtually now. Chicago DSA actually has an organizer training that. I just signed up for with Jane McAlevey. Uh, look them up. Look up Chicago DSA on Twitter. Uh, see if you can find that. Jane has some really good books on organizing. Uh, she was uh, she was an organizer with SEIU. She was really successful. Uh, definitely, definitely look her up and look up that organizer training uh, if you want to maybe learn more about, uh, go more in depth into how to have these conversations. Yeah. And, and, and lastly, if you if you do reach out to a union organizer, because here's the thing, is we're never going to make this sound like it's all, you know, peaches and cream or whatever you want to call it. If you reach out to a union organizer and he or she tells you, I got this, you know, I'll handle it from here type mentality. Go to another union. Tell them to go, yeah. <laughs> Run, yeah, because there are some terrible union organizers out there that just want numbers, and they're going to do, you know, they're going to run the game themselves, and they think that they're the only ones with the knowledge that knows how to do it. And we are both of the opinion, and I'll speak for Jacob because we've talked about this in depth. We are both of the opinion that union organizing should be rank and file. In other words, it should be worker driven, not union driven, because the only people that know the, the working conditions in those plants or the factories or any job site is the workers. Yeah. So, yeah, reach out to some good ones. And if you don't, hit us up Hit us up on social media, and we'll put you in touch with somebody over there that can help because we got good contacts everywhere. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, actually, yeah, I just thought of something else, too, uh, if it's all right, if I can ask another question. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so it's like, uh, do you think it would be worth it for someone like me to 
join the IWW because like right now where I work it kind of feels like I'm the only one who, who who's even like curious about union being in the union joining the IWW would be a great start yeah uh, because they accept people you don't have to have a union per se in your facility to join the IWW and mm-hmm. and doing that puts you in touch with with people in your area that that are members and you start building those relationships and it also gives you access to a lot of organizing information uh i mean and i can tell you in iw in the wobbly world if you ask a question i can i can promise you people mm-hmm. will come out of the woodworks to help you they're dedicated yeah. unionists yeah and if you email and, and one of the good and you don't even have to be a member to get to have some of those questions answered but the organizing department internationally has some really good folks that we know that we've had on the show max baru um Excellent, we've bro. had him him on the show before you can go back and watch our interview there um he he may even answer your question if you email organize at iww dot org um about organizing and and you know maybe maybe there aren't many wobblies in your area maybe you could start maybe you could start a branch or maybe well, I mean, there wasn't, maybe you could, there was only us when we started two years ago yeah and and maybe you know that they could help you organize uh organize your shop or or maybe you know you want to organize with a different union you know i, re- I like i i recommend seeing the other unions in your area that organize in your industry yeah. and and talking and having conversations with them as well as the IWW because you know David and I are both dual carters we're not like wobbly supremacists or anything like that we uh, wherever we just want folks to join the labor movement and we want we want folks to have uh, have better lives and have more control on the job and more more control in their community and whatever union you reckon kind of fits better with with you uh, then then that's then that's where you should go yeah Cool. Sounds very good. Thank you guys for everything you do. Uh, big fan. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Thanks yeah. for calling in. Sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you want to call in, the phone number is one 494 9866 Today's show is completely audience-driven. We did not come with any pre-selected topics that were picked by us. We are only tackling things that have been asked, uh, that, that we've been asked to tackle uh, by the audience. So we appreciate folks giving us some stuff, uh, some stuff to talk about. Um, we got a cheers from Bonn, Germany. Bonn, oh, Germany. wow, yeah. David's worked in Germany we before. Were, what did he say? Uh, we actually protested today, so Very that's, good. Always, that's always fun. Good to hear. Lo- love hearing about direct action. That's some good stuff. Um, so against Bergfield Market, apparently they're trying to union bust over there in Bonn, Germany, and and the brother is out there protesting. So we appreciate you standing up for those workers out in the field. That's important. So yeah, if you got any questions, call in one eight six six four nine four WVNN nine eight six six. And I'm really surprised. The show is uh, kind of what what we originally intended when we started talking about the show is bringing in workers and talking to them about unions and trying to figure out how to get people organized everywhere. Yep. And somebody just called in, and I'm not very good with the phone, so I may have actually hung up to help up, uh, hung up on you. So I apologize for that. If you want to call back in, the phone number is one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. We really appreciate it. We're having a good time today. So down to um, the bottom of the morning break as well we got roughly 30 seconds left before the before the break takes in so call in and we'll get you on uh on the show shortly after the next commercial yeah and uh 
Yeah, the, for the brother out there that's talking about the IWW, I, you know, and ask the question, would it be important? You know, it's it's immensely oh, important. Okay. Uh, and and well, like Jacob said, we can you could we can organize both ways, but we recommend unionizing both ways. We recommend the dual card aspect because the IWW certainly brings a very very militant uh, mm -hmm. union uh, union uh, backbone to the to to your group that you may not have in a traditional union. Yep, so we are coming to you commercial free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. We do still have the top and the bottom of the hour news break, so we'll be right back after you hear the bottom of the hour news. We are going to bring on Mel, a retired steel worker, after this. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Put it there, boy, and we'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. Folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. We are coming to you live, commercial-free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO, Brother Bryn Riley. Brother Bryn Riley, shout out thank to Brother you, Brother Bryn, because him he has helped us on this mm -hmm. show tremendously. Yes, thank you, thank you very much for helping us helping us get that through. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, man, we are getting a lot of folks. We got good morning from BC, Canada. Good morning from DC. Good morning from Bonn, Germany. Uh, man, thank you so much for listening, everybody from all over all over the place. I really appreciate it. So real, we have real quick before you go into that next call, one of the brothers asked about. What do you do about non-traditional people that are working in retails? And, and he said non-traditional unionized uh, industries. What do you think the best way to approach non-traditional labor his history? And like? that is traditionally has been extremely unionized. You know, and that was a point that I was making off the radio. Bring them back into the labor movement uh -huh. because what has happened over the past 40 years is the industry has done their best to outsource a lot of these jobs uh, specifically in retail workers as far as uh, the the meat processing and things like that. When when I grew up, the guy that lived right down the road from us, went to church with him, was a union butcher, had a pension, made mm -hmm. good money working at, I think it was at Winn-Dixie at the time. And those were good union jobs. Mm -hmm. And the only reason they're not right now is because... They're not organized. Some of them are. Kroger's organized. Yeah. Costco's organized. They're teamsters. They make mm -hmm. excellent money. Excellent money. And and their and their CEO constantly speaks to that. Mm -hmm. That the reason that that they have such a good business model is because they pay their workers well and they keep them and they're making. They, I mean, they start out at $15 an hour, and a lot of them's making in the $30 an hour range working at Costco, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. That's a good living wage. Yep, yep. All right, uh, so next guest, we have got Mel. Mel is a retired steel worker. Mel, thanks for calling in. What you got for us? Uh, yeah, I'm going to meet you down at the rally in uh, Russell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm the, uh, I worked at the paper mill in Portland with uh, Brother Joe Mark. I served with him on the board at uh, Local Club 61. Yep. And uh, 
you and I were having a conversation, and he said that y'all did the the the, uh, the teachers union last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I made a comment to him, and he uh, he wanted me to shut up. All right. He wanted me to share with him what I shared with him. There we go. That's yeah, much better. Yeah, that, that was that was better. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. You made a comment to Joe. Joe is an ex. He's he's a good brother. He's a friend of the show. He is also a retired steel worker. Uh, we've had a couple conversations with him on the air. If you want to go back and, and look at those, we uh, you can find us on YouTube at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, we we've got some good conversations with Joe. Uh, so yeah, you made a comment. Uh, we had a, we had brother Kenzo Shibata. He is the host of Class Time Podcast, and he's the functional vice president of the Chicago. Chicago Teachers Union. You said that you were talking to him, and and he he recommended you chat with us uh, about what you had. To yeah, say. he wanted he he wanted he wanted me to share with, with y'all what I said to him. Lay it on us. Lay it on us. He, uh, he every union would like to be in the position that the teachers unions are in in this country. Yes. Mm-hmm. The number one, you can't offshore a teacher. Right. You can't offshore a teacher. And good luck replacing those teachers if you, I mean, they're lucky to fully staff a school with teachers, with good teachers. And uh, in normal conditions, in one of the conversations he he said y'all were having was about the vaccines Mm -hmm. and distributing the vaccines to the teachers. Uh, Under normal conditions in a normal year, not, not a pandemic condition, a schoolroom is a petri dish to begin with. Yeah, mm. and then and then and then along comes a pandemic. I think the teacher should have been on the on the list in front of the line to start with. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it was it's just common sense. Yeah. And, and yeah. here they are having to negotiate to try to get the vaccines. Well, and not even just the vaccines. I think I don't think there are even very many teachers unions across the country that are saying we don't want to open until we get the vaccines. They're just they're saying we want to make sure we we want to make sure we've got smaller classroom sizes so that we can properly do social distancing. We want to make sure that we've got good ventilation. We want to make sure that uh, we've got uh, you know all of these all of these things and all these articles saying oh yeah schools can reopen safely if. Like everybody talks about, schools can reopen safely. Schools can reopen safely. You got folks on uh, left, left type folks even saying that schools can reopen safely, but they leave out what all of the science actually says. Schools can reopen safely if you have proper ventilation. Schools can reopen safely if you uh, do social distancing properly. And and like they totally gloss over that and they just say the first part. And you know, like, uh, you know, it, you can go back and you can listen to our, our interview with Kenzo and you can listen to his podcast. You can, like, this, this brother has a passion for teaching and so does, like, teachers don't go into this to get rich. They love the kids, they love what no. they do, and they want to be back in the classroom, but the administrations are making it so hard for them to feel justified in going back. But I, I, I get so tired of, of them hammering, you know, in, in the conservative media, hammering those teachers' unions. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when I began the conversation, every every union would like to be in the position that the teachers are in because, number one, you can't be offshored. And and like I said, it's, uh, they have a difficult enough time getting a full staff. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Yeah, well, and, 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 uh, it's our it's our hope that we can you know we can build the labor movement back to where we've seen it in the past, and everybody mm-hmm. can be in the position. Now, granted, there'll still be an ability to offshore, but if we get the labor movement to where mm-hmm. we need it to be, then the threat of offshoring will shut shut down. Right industries upon industries in solidarity movements and keep mm-hmm. that work here and that's the biggest thing is getting getting our numbers back up to where we have the leverage in the communities where they're threatening to offshore and we're, we're you know and where everybody walks right not just one group everybody mm-hmm. walks and says we're not going to stand mm-hmm. for it yeah and you know you mentioned the, the the fact about you can't offshore a teacher's job that's so important for teachers, but also for so you know, so many of our jobs are going into the service sector and the retail industry now. You can't offshore a burger flipper, you know, which is the, the, that's the way that, that those jobs are flippantly described to try to demean the value of the labor that those folks produce. You can't offshore uh, people at this Amazon warehouse who are distributing goods. You can't offshore um, re- retail workers. You know, these are jobs that like have to be done here, and and you know, it's really a shame that that they're they have been so kind of disorganized uh because they've really got more leverage even than like even yeah, than well, folks you don't who, think they do that on purpose yeah well that's exactly you don't why think it, they call them burger flippers to, right. and try to demean them so they don't organize so yes. they think there's no hope for me mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah mel you're exactly point. right uh, every every worker should be should should have uh, uh, should 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 be as powerful as the teachers unions and man imagine what a good society we would have if uh, if if every worker when it, when, when. when every worker has has a union at, with it with as much sway as the teachers unions and and we can all act in concert together uh, fighting for ourselves and for one another that'll be that'll be a great world. Another another industry another industry I'd just like to make an example of is that I've always felt and mom felt and I know you had the Teamsters Union and and they're strong for the common you know we're common carriers but there's any number of large trucking companies uh, across the United States the large large fleets that's uh, got their own drivers but, but to me. The, the trucking industry is right for organization if, it, if, mm-hmm. if somebody just did it right. Yeah, especially right. in the South. Yeah. Especially oh, yeah. in the South. Oh, yeah. We need the those teachers out there working, and I can mm-hmm. guarantee you we'll work with any of them. We'll yeah. work with any of them. Trying oh, to yeah. Get them I mean, it's, and, you know, and it's finally it's finally circled back around and all the laws surrounding trucking is, uh, you know, you have to have the CDLs. You can only possess one CDL. Mm-hmm. You have to pass drug screens in order to operate a, a semi. Uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 I felt for a long time that it's ripe for, for organization. I do. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's exactly like those workers down at the Amazon facility. If they would just realize how much power they have, uh, you know, I mean, the world come to a stop if we stop getting our two day shipping. You know, I mean, people will be people will be upset, oh, and they'll they'll be upset with Amazon, and and it'll make Amazon cave, and they'll stop losing their profits. And the same with exactly right, same with the, the trucking industry. Like if truckers just all the truckers in the country decided, you know, we're gonna we're gonna pull over on the side of the road until X happens, X would happen. I guarantee it. Yeah. And it's important oh, yeah. to point out when you talk about worker power, it's because, you know, we've talked to people 
even on the calls with Amazon that says, well, mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy with my job. Things I don't really have that big of an issue. Right. It's important to point out that this is bigger than you. Right. This is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's, it's bigger than J- Joe or Mayo or anyone else. This is about community. Mm-hmm. It's about. It goes back to what we were founded on, the United States, the union that we are, is looking out for everybody, not just I'm happy right now. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't have any problems, so screw everybody else. That ain't the mentality that we should have. Yeah. Mel, we appreciate you calling yeah. in, brother. Yeah, hey, I enjoyed if it. I can, if, if I can make one more comment. Sure, go ahead. The, uh, you know, you, you're often talking about internal organizing inside the, the facilities, and, you know, you 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 know, I always have a conversation. Why should I be a member of the union? Mm-hmm. And never, never lose sight in Alabama. The number one issue for me for a long time. Alabama is an at-will state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can be fired for the right reason, the wrong reason, or no reason. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you and the only exclusion to that is if you're under a union contract that says they have to have just cause. That's right. Amen. That's right. Just and, cause uh, is too hard for more important than anything. Yes, and in most in most labor agreements, you'll always have just cause in the in, in the in the contract. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. And, and with that, I'll let you go. I took up too much time. I will. No, we enjoyed no, it. Thank you so much for calling in, brother. I, I thank you so much. You have a good one. All right, uh, just cause. That's something that I mean. Is, and see, that's what important. that's what the older hands bring to yeah. the conversation. I mean, I gloss over. We never cover just cause, and that's an important mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a yeah because you can't just be fired because the boss is having a bad day. You've got laid out in your contract the things that you can be disciplined for. You've got laid out progressive discipline, and you've got laid out the mechanisms for actually uh, being fired, and and they have to be followed because the company agreed to that contract. Yeah. I mean. It's it's really it's really really so important, uh, you know, for folks to get organized. Uh, if you want to call in one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six, had a bunch of calls today. Thanks everybody for calling in and giving us questions. We've got several questions about Amazon uh, through the week and and here today. So I want to I want to hit some of those. Um, Somebody asked last week, uh, what are realistic over under on the chances of the Amazon union winning? I think it's good. I believe it's good. I believe. I know it's good. I, yeah. There is no belief. In I, there, we know it's good. It's good. The folks doing the organizing are good. Uh, the workers in the Amazon facility are good. The workers in the poultry plant that are members of RWDSU that are dedicating their lives to this drive are good. The staff members in New York are good. The staff yeah. members in Bessemer are good. Uh, and uh, it's anybody good. that questions, it's good, folks. Anybody good. that questions this drive is an absolute moron. I, yeah, I, I really, I really, really believe that uh, that they're going to win. I think that I, I think that they're going to win, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, there was, um, and, and somebody asked me on Twitter, which is, he's he's a good guy. He's um, he's a public defender that I, that I've I've been to some actions with. He asked, what percentage of dues will go towards building the Jeff Bezos? Wicker Man. David, what do you reckon the percentage of the dues that is going to go to the I mean, Jeff Bezos is out now. You know, yeah. and that's something, that's something, look, I get it. I mean, it's easy 
to hate Jeff Bezos. It's easy to hate Elon Musk. It's easy to hate the Walton family. And this is something, and I'm not calling out your friend, but I'm just saying as a general statement from what I've seen, quit prioritizing Jeff Bezos. It's, it's not Jeff Bezos. These managers at the facility in Amazon, these managers that they put at the facility that I work at, the managers that put at facilities all across this state are terrible. They are traditionally uh, what, what I would refer to as master-slave mentality. Mm-hmm. And, and anybody that lives outside of Alabama that don't understand that needs to come down here and work for a little while. Yeah. Uh, you can listen to this radio show any other time of the day other than this hour and a half and you will hear the exact same mm-hmm. sentiment. Master-slave yeah. mentality. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Yeah, It's not Jeff Bezos is the problem. Yeah. It is these managers in these facilities and the workers standing together to push back on mm-hmm. HR, on their frontline managers, on their on their senior staffing managers, they're the ones that make these decisions on the floor every day. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that that put the that don't let them go take bathroom breaks. Yeah. So you know this wicker man concept. Uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Bezos is easy to hate, but this is not about Jeff Bezos. This is about the workers on the factory floor negotiating collectively against that company in Bessemer. Yeah, but for the gratuitous Jeff Bezos hate, uh, the answer to the question what percentage of the dues will go to building his wicker man, it's going to be whatever the workers decide because unions are democratically run. And so if they decide that they want some of their dues to go to building a Jeff Bezos wicker man, more power to them. More power to him. That's yeah, what effigy. I say. Burn the effigy. <laughs> okay. So, but uh, I mean, let's let's. But the point that I'm trying to make I is understand. let's don't focus our hate on one person because this is bigger than one person. It's a systemic problem. Yeah, it is it, a systemic problem, and we need to understand that it's going to take systemic solutions, which organizing will be good to bring about. Here's a good question about the healthcare industry. Um, and this can kind of go into some other topics too. Are communities aware that nurses are leaving bedside positions not because of the employee-driven, employer-driven narrative of burnout, but significant lack of staffing, resources, and PPE during the pandemic? Are communities aware that nurses are leaving their positions because of the significant lack of staffing and resources in PPE during the pandemic. I don't think that there's a broad enough understanding of it. Uh, Now, you know, you said the employer-driven narrative of burnout. Uh, I think that's a real thing that happens, but the answer to burnout to the extent that it exists is not self-care, taking a bubble bath. Like, that's all fine and good, and you can do that, and you should do that. But the the real answer, the thing that those are going to attack those things that I said are going to attack the symptoms of the problem. To actually get at the problem of burnout, to the extent that such a thing exists, is to organize and get a yeah. good contract and to win uh, win different uh, better wages and working conditions. And, um, and that, and unionizing will also tackle the other things that you mentioned which are the lack they can't it can tackle those things the lack of staffing the lack of resources uh, the lack of PPE and we've seen that in study after study now has shown that uh, uh, healthcare 
facilities with union representation have had uh, better um, better outcomes with during the pandemic. They uh, the union nursing homes have had a forty percent lower mortality rate. Yeah, forty percent, thirty percent lower. Thirty uh, percent uh, lower. Uh, um, Thirty percent lower times that the virus is infected. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on what the what the word is there, but uh, it, it, that's amazing. And the reason is is because in these workplaces, the workers have control. They have more control. They have a voice on the job over how these resources are spent, over how these resources are are divvied up, and things like that. And and that matters. That matters a lot. And you know, I, I, I and it, it really, it really grinds my gears the, the fact that our society has done so much performative BS about frontline heroes and essential workers and all this stuff, just really blowing smoke up up our bums. Uh, and then not actually doing anything about it, uh, calling these people frontline heroes and essential workers, giving them hazard pay, two dollars an hour, and then taking that away after two months of it. I mean, seriously, this is—it's insane. Uh, the the what um, what they're uh, like the the are the people that are ruling the society are just trying to get us to be uh they're, they're trying to distract us from the real issues they're trying to say like oh if i give you a round of applause or oh if i give you some fireworks or something then maybe you won't ask for better wages maybe you won't ask for more nurses in your hospital maybe you won't ask for more ppe and we can't get distracted we've got to we've seriously got to attack this kind of th this this nonsense that um that is uh, being placated by this. Um, uh, I've got some for you here, David. Being placated by the uh, um, being placated by this performative BS. We can't be placated by that. We've got to keep fighting until we get real solutions. That's that is my opinion. We've got to keep fighting until we get real solutions. And a round of applause is not a real solution. A round of applause is not a real solution. Not at all. Um, so, uh, um, you know, and I think that, that that's just, that that's really important to, that that's really important to understand. So we're coming, uh, we're coming up on the end of the show. We got about seven minutes left. David looks like he is on the phone. I don't think we're going to be bringing on this caller. Uh, the the caller just had had a couple questions for David, and so uh, sounds like we're going to be following up with them after that. Uh, another question that we got is, Hey, before you go off of that, I wanted okay. to say the the public because you you are you still on the nurses? Yes. The public don't know what's going on in those hospitals simply because the workers are not organized right one worker is, is saying it on facebook is not going to change mm -hmm. the, the narrative of the public narrative of what they hear i have talked to nurses i have organized nurses in this state and and until you begin speaking collectively with one voice you're mm -hmm. never going to be heard 
And PPB, we talked about it just a few weeks ago. I talked to nurses in the hospital where management had PPE locked up and, a, and one of the nurses had a patient that coded and she had to go in there without PPE on and perform CPR on this patient and she ended up dying because she got COVID from that patient mm-hmm. and, and no, her story isn't being told because you're not organized. Yeah, Call me. Let's yeah. get organized. Yeah, the Machinist Union does organize um, nurses, so that is something. And and there are, and and you know he's not gonna he if you don't want to organize with the Machinist Union, we'll get you in touch with some with other healthcare unions. Like we yeah. don't care. Yeah. Well, the problem we is right now the Machinist Union are the only ones organizing healthcare right. in the state. Right. And and having an advocate, you're not go. I, that was one of the one mm-hmm. one of the things that was that I was told was well, we just need an advocate in Montgomery on our behalf. No, no advocate for yourself. Yeah, you don't need an external. Well, advocate. and in Montgomery, I mean, you don't need it in Montgomery. You need it in, in the workplace. In the workplace, because That's Montgomery going to change. Politicians aren't going to help you. Not especially not our. Oh, you know, Lord, no. Democrats or Republicans. Really, you can't count on them. But certainly not Republicans. You can't count on them to. Help you in in the hospitals. I mean, you got it. You got to get organized and help. You can't count and, on and to help us anywhere. Yeah. Look what happened on the dead gum bill last uh, what two Jeez. weeks? SB thirty two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, we're coming. Yeah, somebody asked us what do we think about the first few weeks of the Biden administration. We were much more optimistic the first week, but we've only got like four more minutes, so I don't want to get into that. There was another question about. Um, uh, crap. About yeah, it's, let's, let's we have call it like it is. It's crap right now. Yeah, last uh, last week was was really really bad. Last Terrible. week was bad, and maybe we'll talk about that another time. But I had a the, the, somebody asked. I have a similar question about what we should do about organizing in situations where the employment status is designed purposely to be temporary, like graduate students. And so uh, the way that you organize there is really the same as you organize anywhere else, uh, which is by talking to your coworkers and, and, and forming a union, whether that be through the NLRB or through some other, uh, through, a, through a solidarity union like they do at Stardust Family United up in New York. Um, and you know, you just uh, you just have to do it. Obviously, the temporary situation, the t- the 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 temporariness of it makes it more difficult because of the transience of the members. You're not going to be able to have this kind of robust tribal knowledge, this robust historical knowledge uh, in the membership. But one thing that is really good about being a part of a union is that, uh, especially a larger international union, is that your knowledge is not limited specifically to the members of your workforce. You've got staff, you've got members in other workforces, you've got elected leaders uh, in the union. And so, you know, like with any other worker, if you're a grad student out there wanting to organize, then uh, look into the uh, organizations, the unions in your area, and call them up. Have lunch with them. Have a have some coffee with them, or uh, schedule a Zoom meeting, and just see. Because there are there are graduate unions that are really really good, and they get really good contracts. The Harvard graduate workers just organized. They just won a good contract, I believe. Uh, University of Georgia has a good graduate workers union. Um, I mean, there. Uh, um, uh, so U- University of California has a really 
militant graduate workers union. So maybe talk to them. Maybe talk, uh, uh, there those are organized with different unions. Uh, the UAW does a lot of graduate worker organizing. The CWA, CWA. does a lot of graduate worker organizing. We're think, friends with we. Well, I don't know. I I'm for certain friends with a organizer in Tennessee that organizes through Kate. CWA. Kate. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, we She's good. Reach out to us. Yes. There is. Yeah, the, we'll there's you. only one job that can't be organized, and that's the boss. Thank that's you. Right. <laughs> that's why we, right. we will. If you are a boss and you're out there firing employees, do not call us. We will not help you. <laughs> Get a demotion and then and then holler at us, yeah. and then we'll make sure yeah. that you we'll we'll try to help you make as much as you were when you were lording over workers. Yeah, well, I mean, in our case, <laughs> our workers make more than most of the salary folks in the in the plant. So so yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, yep. it is what it is. <laughs> working class solidarity works. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you know, if you're a graduate worker, and you don't have to like, we're not gatekeepers. I mean, I, I think the person that was in your area, uh, or the person that that said that, is not local. So you know, just look up UAW CWA locals in your area, and just have a conversation with them. Talk to them, and, and they'll help you out. They'll be more than willing. Or, or the IWW. The IWW does grad worker student organizing too. So, folks, this has been the Valley Labor Report. I have really enjoyed. Jordan myself, thanks for participating, and we will see you next week.